Welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. But today is a very special day. We have had the privilege of baptizing Lachlan and welcome him in, welcoming him, him into God's worldwide church. It's a fabulous time to get baptized because this year, lad, you get two sets of presents because it's Christmas and also your godparents have brought, yeah, your godparents have brought amazing gifts for you. And I really hope they have, otherwise I've just made it really awkward for them. I was shopping only yesterday uh, for my brood for this Christmas. It's quite a conundrum knowing what to buy. I have four of them and I don't really know where to start, so do pray for me. But have you ever stopped and wondered why we give presents in the first place? It is slightly odd, isn't it? It all started a long, long time ago. Let's delve into the gospel according to Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Yeah, right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Lord, we pray that in these few moments we have now to reflect on this most extraordinary of stories. Would you work in each of our hearts and minds as never before, draw us closer to you, Lord Jesus, even as those magi drew close that first Christmas. Amen. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. The gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men, and they are the main reason we give Christmas gifts to this day. Three wise men took months with their travel, arrived late, and nearly tipped off evil King Herod, and we call them wise. And they brought these extraordinary gifts, and the first appearance of these gifts is perhaps a little odd. I mean, what use could you have, Lachlan, for gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Your dad's going, oh, definitely take the gold, take the gold. Not even gold chocolate coins, we're talking real gold. Uh, Of course, it is expensive having a kid, so there you go, we'll deal with that one. The other two gifts, though, may not appear the most practical, but nevertheless, they're utterly appropriate. Because what's going on with these three gifts is that they each reveal something of Jesus' identity and his purpose. 
And it's this fascinating bunch of stargazers from a long way away that come bringing these gifts that have a significance way beyond themselves. The gift of gold. The gift of gold, obviously considered worthy of a king. You only have to look at the buildings and treasures of kings and pharaohs from ancient history. Both secular and biblical kings valued gold so highly, along with all of us. Gold symbolizes kingship. And these wise men understood that Jesus Christ was this, this little baby born in obscurity was born to be a king, and not just a king, but the king. And by bowing down and worshiping him, they were saying they were choosing to come under that rule and reign. The gift of myrrh, secondly, the gift of myrrh. Myrrh, you know this, is a tree resin that's highly valued. It was used for a variety of purposes. It's perfume, but also anesthetic. And also, this is a strange one, embalming the dead. This makes it a very strange gift to give a child. In John's Gospel, we read that myrrh was indeed used in the burial of Jesus after the crucifixion. So here's a thought. Do you wonder if this was the exact same myrrh that was kept, kept prayerfully for all of those years and then used in Jesus' burial? And as shown by this gift, these men understood that it would be the death of Jesus that would be even more significant than his life. Finally, there's the gift of frankincense. Once again, uh, this was greatly valued throughout the Middle East, from Rome to India. It's hugely expensive, unbelievable, beautiful fragrance. Again, a tree resin, tears of hardened tree sap, crushed and used in the worship in the temple. Frankincense speaks of the worship of God. In other words, these wise men understood that Jesus Christ was not only to be worshipped as a king, but worshipped as God himself. All of this is to say these were not just vastly expensive gifts, wildly out of place in this grotty, smelly environment that they were offered and received. These were deeply prophetic as well. And today, in a moment before communion, I'm going to light the second Advent candle and celebrate the role of the prophets in the foretelling, the coming, the second coming of Christ. So it's wholly appropriate that we should consider today these three presents, for these presents themselves are prophetic. Speaking of the Messiah to come, the great king, the one born to die, the one who is God himself. It's important for us to remember that these wise men represent the, 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 the ultimate intelligence of the day. That's why they're remembered in these pages of the Bible and celebrated to this day. They were the top brains, not just locally, but globally. And whilst everyone else is staring down, these wise men, their eyes are up and on the stars. These bold, courageous, intellectual individuals contextualize themselves within the entirety of the entire cosmos. Despite their great knowledge, they knew that wisdom was different. They knew that wisdom demanded humility. And so they were able to perceive how God was speaking strangely, wonderfully. They didn't know what was going on, but they had to be there to find out. God was speaking through the very fabric of the universe, the revelation about his son woven into the heavens. 
And I wonder if when it all began, they weren't really looking for a savior at all. They're simply going about their work, astronomy, astrology, natural science, medicine, philosophy. And what they found themselves startled by was this extraordinary phenomenon in the heavens. Something new was happening. They couldn't deny it, and they had to be there. They were drawn towards it. I love that. I love that quest towards something that you don't really know what it is, but you just feel it in your heart. I have to explore this. They see this new star and they understand it as a sign of unique and momentous birth and they're so inquisitive they had to go there. We don't know the names of the Magi because the Bible doesn't tell us, but tradition has it that the three wise men were named Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior, which are just fantastic names, aren't they? I mean, that sounds like wise men, not Jeff, Pete, and Eddie. You couldn't have that, could you? These three wise guys, also known as magi, our word, our English word magician comes from the same root. Not that they were magicians in the modern sense of sleight of hand performers. They would have been of noble birth, educated, wealthy, influential, philosophers, counselors of rulers, learned in all the wisdom of the ancient East. They were intellectual people, but still something was stirring inside them things were coming together. They didn't understand half of it. They needed to be there. I made up my own joke. It's a cracker joke for you. It's especially for you. Actually, especially for Henry. Um, Especially for you, because I know you love my jokes, Henry. Um, Knock, knock. Magi. Magi come in and give you this gift. Thanks, Sanjay. I can always rely on Sanjay to give a belly laugh. You know, it's fascinating how St. Matthew doesn't tell us about the local shepherds coming to visit the new baby in the stable. His focus is immediately on the foreigners, on the Gentiles, on the non-Jews, those coming from the East to worship Jesus. What St. Matthew is concerned with is primarily Jesus as a universal Messiah for all the nations, not just the Jews. He does this right at the beginning and right at the end of his gospel, which I find utterly extraordinary. I can't believe I'd never processed this concept before. The Magi might have been many things, but at the end of the day, the one thing they weren't was Jewish. They were Gentiles. Therefore, according to the Old Testament ceremonial laws, it's really important this, they were unclean. Unclean Gentiles, baby Jesus. Now, any parent here, Molly will tell you, will know that your first child, with your first child, with Bonnie, with glorious Bonnie, you're, you're an utter germaphobe. Your first baby, things sort of, they get special treatment. Is anyone here a first child? Okay, this, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> The first, the first baby bath time, every single night, it's a relaxing, lavender-scented body wash and toys and just, just, just delightful. Second baby, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> first baby, the blankie is washed every single day. Second baby, blankie could probably stand up and walk to the washing machine itself. First baby, uh, you have sanitizing wipes and hand sanitizer in pouches and holders all over your car and home and body. If anyone touches your child, you sanitize everything around them, and God forbid that your little angel drops its dummy out of its mouth. You've got to sterilize it then for three minutes. No, in fact, throw the dummy away. Second baby, drop the dummy, pick the dummy up, shove it in the kid's mouth. (laughs) Oh, that's some other kid's dummy. Nah, that's fine. 
I remember we were so definitely like that with our firstborn, but then number two comes along. Lachlan has very much finer parents than my children. Here's the thing. The parents of firstborn are all about cleanliness, aren't they? Cleanliness. So here's Jesus, firstborn, not only of Mary and Joseph, but this is the firstborn and only son of God himself. And these foreigners come along into this, I mean, it's, it's unclean where they are, and these guys are, are richly unclean because they're not Jewish in this setting, and it's just, it blows your mind. Why is it like this? It's not in the Bible, but can you imagine how protective Mary must have felt? Surely Joseph was boiling a lot of water in those, the time that they were there. Can you imagine how hard it was for Mary to be in a stable? And then she had to put her precious little baby in a feeding trough. How awful is this? We have this clinicized view of the nativity. Joseph, bless his heart, really hasn't covered himself in glory, has he? Mary seems to be doing by far the majority of the hard work. I don't know if this is a poem or if I had the guts, I'd do it as a rap. After angel visitation and divine impregnation, nine months gestation and belly inflation, Mary surely would have had a fair expectation that Joseph could just sort a hotel reservation. Surely Mary was tempted to say a few things to Joseph. This is the saviour of the world we're talking about here. This is not what I had hoped for. But still, do you know what's going on here, Joseph? I can see it. What's happening is what the prophets have been talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years. And perhaps, just perhaps, Joseph, this debasement, this ultimate earthing, this grounding that we're experiencing, this is the ultimate symbol of heaven touching earth. This is the ultimate portrayal of Emmanuel, God with us, down here with us, in our stuff. The title of my sermon today, which you'll be pleased to know is drawing to a close, is Christmas Presents. We all love a good gift. Jesus got them, that's why we give them, but I've spelt it Presents, S-E-N-C-E, because what Christmas is all about is the celebration of the nearness of God to us, now and forever. We may not see it, but it's so real. We may not understand it, because it's so wonderfully extraordinary. Let me finish with this one story before Jack comes to lead us in our prayers and then we take communion together. It's this, it's, uh, the, this is the, um, from an interview with the rock star Bono. And he's being interviewed and he's explaining how the wonder of Christmas became real to him in a new way. I won't do the Bono accent. I remember coming back from a very long tour. I got home for Christmas, very excited, being in Dublin. On Christmas Eve, I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's kind of a tradition on Christmas Eve to go, but I'd never been. I went to this place, sat. I was given a really bad seat behind one of the huge pillars. I couldn't see a thing, and I was falling asleep, being up for a few days traveling, and because it was a bit boring, the service, and I started nodding off. I couldn't see a thing, and then I started to try and keep myself awake, studying what was on the page, and it dawned on me for the first time, really, 
it's dawned on me before, but it really sank in the Christmas story. The idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in straw poverty. A child. I just thought, wow, just the poetry. Unknowable love unknowable power describes itself as the most vulnerable. There it was. I was sitting there, and it's not that it hadn't struck me before, but tears came down my face, and I saw the genius of this, utter genius, in picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this, because that's what exactly we're talking about. Love needs to find form, Intimacy needs to be whispered. To me, it makes sense. It's actually logical. It's pure logic. Essence has to manifest itself. It's inevitable. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. We hope you found this insightful and inspiring and can tune in again soon. In the meantime, try out our website, sgtm.org.